The condition of sin's got to be dealt with before the conduct of a believer. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. If you expect to become righteous through the law or any other means, you will fall short every time. The person that's sitting next to you that might be an adulterer, that might be a dope addict, you and that person need the same grace of God. What about when I was unfaithful? What about when I overstepped the lines? The things that we say could never be paid for, God has already paid. Nothing can stop us. We're unstoppable. It should be easy to go to heaven and hard to go to heaven. How do you overcome sin? Not by trying harder, but surrendering more. In Romans chapter 13, by the way, you can pick up and recap in Romans chapter 12 by simply going to our Facebook Live, going to our live feed. Our production puts a lot of work into that, so you can catch right up with us. We are in a series called The Book of Romans. If you're visiting with us today, we're so excited that you're here. It's just an honor and a privilege to serve you, and so thank you for joining us as well as online. But I want to read to you a little bit of history to start with, so I'm just going to systematically read this, and the reason I'm reading this is a cultural backdrop of really what was going on in the time that Paul, Paul the apostle, really before he became an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then really to after he died. It kind of gives you a picture as we lead into Romans chapter 13, because it really does make a difference. So let me read this to you. Jewish people of Jesus's day had a passionate desire for freedom from the domination of the pagan Romans and the oppressive Herod dynasty that had ruled them for many years. Revolt seethed continuously, mostly underground for more than a hundred years from the time Herod became king in 37 BC until the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. It is helpful to realize that this underlying struggle is the backdrop for Jesus's ministry as well as Paul's and why so many hope that Jesus would actually be a conquering king in the present time. This helps us understand why the excessive praise of the crowds during the triumphal entry of Christ reduced Jesus to tears and probably why some rejected his message. They were seeking a king to fix the government, but he was a different king. Ever since the Romans arrived on the scene in 64 B.C., the Jewish people were divided over how to respond to the rule of their often corrupt governors or the Herod family who served them. The religious community, particularly the Pharisees, believed that the Jewish people were to be God's instruments on the earth from whom the Messiah would come to institute that glorious age when Israel would be a great free nation. Many others, especially the secular community, and apparently some of the Sadducees noted the present reality of the rule of Rome and determined that cooperation with Rome was best policy. The tyrannical rule of Rome and the paganism of its religious culture heightened the contrast between the situation at hand and the messianic hopes. This difference produced increasingly fragmentation of the people and several movement, movements developed in response to that. The zealots, an ultra-nationalistic group, proclaimed revolution to be God's solution. The Essenes withdrew, waiting anxiously for the Messiah to lead a violent overthrow of the Romans and their Jewish supporters. That's what they were believing. The Sadducees apparently practiced a form of cooperation since it was Rome who kept them securely in their position over the temple, therefore over the people. 
The Herodians appeared satisfied with the Herod dynasty. The Pharisees condemning Rome's pagan excesses, which by the way, Paul was a Pharisee, note, were removed from politics and viewed the foreign oppressors as God's hand punishing his people for their unfaithfulness to the Torah. The country was in turmoil, each faction longing in a different way for the freedom they desired. To this climate of confusion, hatred, and division, and many so-called messiahs came, each preaching his own brand of salvation. And Jesus, he presented his unique message of redemption. Some followed his lead, but many did not. And during the feast days, especially the Passover, tensions reached climax, and the Romans increased their military presence to prevent open revolt. The climate existed, however, for the revolution to begin. This is the backdrop. You know, Paul wrote Romans in AD 57. He was arrested in Jerusalem in AD 58. In AD 60, he was imprisoned in Rome in AD 67. Paul was executed. Romans chapter 13, verse one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. You understand the weight of this scripture due to the cultural backdrop we just read there. Very weighty. You see, authority is God's idea. He, he ordained that principle of order. He did in the government, in the church, in parents, husbands and wives. You know, the Greek word subject to authority refers to a soldier's absolute obedience to his superior officer. Hey, teenager, I'm talking to you. That mom of yours, superior officer. Now elbow that teenager if you're sitting next to him, you know what I mean? We'll take care of them if they give you problems. For us as well, hey, parents, what about the government? When it lines itself around the things that are direct conflict with our ethics, our values, our convictions, can we still apply the instructions of Paul? Does the Bible still really apply? Think about the tension that that brings there. Did God really institute the governing authorities? I mean, did he? It's a great debate, right? But they're morally bankrupt. God couldn't have done it. They're, they're, they're incompetent. They're murderous. God, how could you institute governments in order around the world with that? You know, thinking back to the Old Testament, the Israelites, they wanted authority. They wanted a king. They wanted somebody to rule over them. And God's desire was that he would be the king of their hearts and rule over them. But they said, no, we want a king. And we see that happening in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, major prophet in the Old Testament, by the way. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is it not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. See, God desires to be the king of your heart and for you to submit to his leading within the governmental order that's in the world today. What about wicked, wicked rulers? What about wicked kings? How does that play in, huh? What about that? Well, I love Proverbs chapter 21, verse one. It says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. Mm. That's right. 
That means the wicked king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns the dial as he wills. You look at the Old Testament, you see Pharaoh. God said, I'm hardening his heart. You see the kings and the rulers in the present and in the future. See, God's sovereignty is what we believe in. He will execute his plan with precision through the wicked and the righteous. How can, how, can, how can I reconcile that? I'll tell you one word, faith. That's how I reconcile that. God will execute his plan with precision through the wicked and the righteous because that's the God we serve. He's sovereign. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. That judgment is speaking not of God's eternal judgment, but punishment actually from breaking the law. Driving 150 miles an hour to church in the name of Jesus, you'll still get a ticket. <laughs> I preached one of my first messages at a Wiggins campus before we built a building. It was a youth group and I was gonna be there half an hour ahead of time. And I decided to drive 125 miles an hour. Dumb for God. Fortunately, I didn't get a ticket, but I preached the gospel. I was like, God, I need an escort here. We're, we're moving the gospel forward. And he said, yeah, watch your speed. All right. Verse three, for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Even the most wicked governments will act as a deterrent to crime. Excuse me. Northwood Water commercial, by the way. Get you some in the cafe today. Verse three continues on. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's a Father's Day message there. <laughs> is Paul saying there's never a time to break the law? I know this is a question that comes around. Is Paul actually saying there's never a time to resist? Is that what he's saying? Paul was very aware of how God led others to violate the laws of the land in certain contexts. Think about it. Exodus chapter one, should the Hebrew midwives have killed their firstborn of Hebrew babies? No, not, uh-uh. Daniel chapter three, should Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have offered worship to the golden idol, which the authorities said to do? Should they have avoided death and obeyed to live another day to serve God privately? They said, I guess not. I'm gonna worship the king regardless. Daniel 6, should Daniel have stopped praying to God when he was being legally forced to do so? Should he have persevered himself from the lion's den when his praying, when his praying disregarded the law? No, he kept praying. Acts chapter 4, should Peter and John have stopped preaching the gospel when the Sanhedrin told them there would be severe consequences if they continued to do so? You know the story, they continued to do so and was executed, sawed in half, hung, and they died preaching the gospel. Is Paul saying there's never a time 
No. But at the same time, providing the law is not forcing us to personally violate our Christian ethics, we are still called to subject ourselves to it. This is not a problem to solve, but a tension to manage. Look what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, guys, we're not talking about breaking the laws of the land. We're talking about people who are executing the mission of Jesus and preaching the everlasting gospel and was willing to be a martyr for it. Paul says that I'm in chains for the gospel's sake. This is called bold believers, all right? Verse five, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, verse six, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. You mean you gotta talk to me about taxes today? I mean, in the light of all this, Paul, Nero, Rome, the reign of Herod, taxes, I'm out. <laughs> taxes, taxes. Well, you just said, pastor, we should break the law if it violates our Christian ethics. <laughs> taxes pay for things that I'm against in Christian ethics, I'm out. Well, Paul gave the instruction to pay taxes, unfortunately, to the first century Rome, and it was being ruled by Nero. Now, Nero uh, used Christians as candlesticks, dipped them in tar, impaled them, and lit them on fire as a torch and, and lit the grounds up for his parties. Pay taxes. What? You gotta be kidding me. Wow, what did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. I love Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you, tr you are the true teacher and teach the way of God truthfully and you don't care about anybody's opinions for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? I love the way he preaches. I don't know about you. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Verse 20, and Jesus said to them, whose likeness and whose inscription is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left and went away. They said, I'm done. Listen to this guy preach. Think about this. We pay our taxes so that our houses will not be confiscated, but we don't give into the kingdom so that the gospel can be propelled. Mm. Mm. Verse seven, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Hits us where it hurts, our heart and our pocketbooks. Gut check. You know, Christians ought to speak more respectfully of our nation's leadership and our government than anyone else, primarily because we're anchored in our theology. How about this? What about church and its leadership? What does it say about that? I'll tell you what it says. Double honor. Double honor. 
Some people treat pastors like politicians. Give me what I want or I'm gonna vote you out. Mm. Well, let's move on. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of what? Just a few. Let's go ahead and say that together. Double honor. That's it. Double honor. They labor in preaching and teaching. Verse eight, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I love how he just, he just turns the page. Paul just continues to turn the page. Look, Jesus was trapped with governmental rules and authorities and, and they killed him, but he continued to break the law to preach the ever living way, right? But he said, pay taxes, let's keep moving on. Because love is the fulfillment of the law, the love of Christ in our heart for a dying world, regardless of its political stance. There's a greater story going on here, and it's our, it's our, it's our first priority. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word, one word right here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Let's talk about in our context nationally. You know, you won't win the culture by hating it. It's not how God operates. You'll win the culture by persuading it, and persuasion only comes through the love of Christ in you. Not even the human form of love. The, the love that comes from Christ in you and through you is what causes people to repent Who's our neighbor? Think about it. Can someone who is a conservative consider someone who is a liberal their neighbor? Can someone who is a Democrat and someone who's a Republican, can you consider them your neighbor? We get trapped in the present time that we miss the mission of Jesus to our neighbor because we're caught up in temporal authorities and opinions and problems. And I'm not saying we shouldn't speak up. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we should not have a voice and have freedom of speech. I say, do your job with humility. Do your job with humility and confidence regardless of another person's opinion. I'm not saying that, but I'm also saying that your neighbor might look different than you. Is Jesus after your neighbor. The gospel of Jesus is always greater than our political differences. The gospel of Jesus is always greater than our nationalistic views. The gospel of Jesus is global and goes far beyond our time span and it will continue on. We sang about it. His fame will be praised when the earth is melted. Whew. That's powerful. I don't know about you. I mean, look, I'm getting, I'm getting excited now because look, it sounds like we have no hope. We've got a lot of hope, everybody. We are a part of an eternal kingdom that's an invisible kingdom that's gonna be brought, it's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so we have a call to action, and that's what Paul said. Now it's time for action, everybody. Now that we got this stuff behind us, let's get to work. Verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. 
despite of your current circumstances. Preach the gospel. Be light in the darkness. Take on a missional mindset. Let the heart of Christ be deposited in your heart and propel you forward with precision and accuracy and confidence and love and determination and lean forward and cut off the distractions and become a racehorse for God. Now we're speaking my language, preaching to myself. Verse 12, here we go. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Those things are like hooks that have weights attached to them that wants to weigh us down and and, and slow us down in the objectives that we receive from the Lord, both corporately and personally. So we got to cast off those distractions. You know, there's many forms of distractions, evil lurking within you, enticing you, people, situations, mindsets, manipulation, politics, We got to embrace the mission of Jesus within our life and find out the channel he wants us to bring the gospel. He wants you to bring the gospel into your work environment, bring the gospel, bring the gospel in your family, bring the gospel into politics, bring the gospel everywhere you go because we are carriers of the good news. We're missionaries on the earth. We're only passing through everybody. Come on, somebody. That's why we come to this sheetrock room and preach. Come on, somebody. That's why we're here listening to the everlasting gospel. If not, it wouldn't be worth it. We're building an eternal kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So we live in the world. We pay our taxes. We do what we can to make a difference in the areas we have a difference to make, both politically, family, and community, and church. But we live in the world and we're not of this world. We're passing through and Jesus is our leader. Jesus is the king. That's who we, we serve a greater master, everybody. We do. I I love it. I'm like, I serve a greater master. His name is Jesus. This thing about kingdoms on earth has been around for a while. They all thought the Messiah was coming to change things temporarily and, and we know he was going to come back. The return of Christ is, is, is a reality. The return of Christ is a reality. And when he comes back, the government will be on his shoulders. And it will be a new heaven and a new earth. It won't be this earth. It won't be this earth. And Peter, it says the earth will melt in fervent heat. Does that mean we just say we don't pay, pay our taxes and do things and, and make a difference? No, we'd be fools. People have done that. They, they have crazy people who said, man, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. They really thought it was, or a month. I'm not going to brush my teeth. Their teeth rotted out, and they died with no teeth. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't have teeth in here, that's not a shot at you. I'm sorry. So yeah, we, got, we got to do some things on this earth. But the return of Christ is a reality, and then he will establish his kingdom. They were all looking for it back in the time. Read a little bit of scripture to you. Right before Jesus was crucified, he was brought before the authority, Pontius Pilate. And so, he, so Pilate entered his headquarters where Jesus was, verse 33, John chapter 18, and called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? 
And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say to, to tell, tell you that about me? So where, are you, where are you coming up with this, Pontius? Pilate, Pilate said, I am a Jew. I am a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priest has delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. He's still trying to establish the kingdom here to overthrow the wickedness. He said, my kingdom is not of this world, Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Basically, you'd be gone. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Side note, Jesus could have called a legion of angels and executed millions of people right there, but he didn't because the return of Christ is a reality. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so are you a king? There it is. Are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. There's another voice and there's another kingdom that we can partake in. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? I know we went through a lot of information today, but it's a good day and God knows what he's doing. And some of you in this room right now are maybe hearing the voice of God for the first time. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that in your life. He'll highlight what I'm saying and he's tugging on your heart. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And anybody who opens, he, he opens their heart to him. He comes in, he enters in. I don't know where you are right now, in your journey, but I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus, his calling. He called you. He's calling you. He instigated that in your life. He instigated it. His love instigated it. And we want to give you a moment right now to respond to that love. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, We'll be healed, but if we believe in our heart that Jesus died, was buried and resurrected, that faith is saving faith. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of your life by a miracle, and you become a child of God. It's called salvation. God's instigating it. So if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer, a simple prayer, and, and God knows right where you are, and he'll meet you right where you are. Just say, Father, forgive me. I surrender. Here I am, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, paying the price. I put my trust in you, God, all of it, all of it. I'm yours, God. I'm a servant of yours, God. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. In Jesus' name. And while we're heads are down, I'm gonna continue with a prayer from Pastor Jordan after I read this scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, first of all, then I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, we pray over our nation right now, God the nation of America. 
We pray over our nation, God. We pray over our government, over our politicians. We pray over our president, God. We pray over our cities, our mayors, uh, the leadership there, God. We pray, we pray over every community leader right now, God. We pray over our pastors right now, God. We just lift them up in prayer, God, into the hands of your sovereignty. God, somehow, some way, you said to pray, and then you take those ingredients of prayer and you do something with them according to your will, God. And so we do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give it up for those who prayed that prayer, everybody. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, you can check out all our past sermons and all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi. And even to, to give to support those efforts of reaching more people, be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.